Uh, hello, everyone. Um, welcome to our listeners, and thank you for listening again. Um, this is another episode of The Edge. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining. Um, today, I'm very happy to say we've got Francois Gay here to talk to us. Um, so again, I'm going to kick off as I do every other podcast. I'm not really going to change my first question. The first question is going to be, give us a little bit of background about yourself, kind of where you started out, how you got into the industry, and then we'll go from there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jay. Um, I, I grew up in Ontario and, uh, you know, I went into public administration thinking I was going to change the world by working in government. Um, when I graduated and went to government, I realized this was not the place to me. Uh, for me, I was an entrepreneur, uh, left after about, uh, seven years, I guess, took me some time to figure it out in my young years and, uh, went to a company called Nortel Networks. So during the telecom boom and, uh, Started there as a recruiter, and within a couple of years, I was a director and then a VP of global recruiting, and just fell in love with telecom and uh, lived through the you know the boom and the bust. Um, it was tremendous times, uh, tremendous technologies, uh, mergers and acquisitions, and fell in love with that whole um, energy level. Um, so you know, started my own company after that. Uh, uh, started a social media company in 2003, so fell in love with the whole networking and building networks. And then, uh, you know, I ended up doing a contract uh, about uh, five years ago at uh, Fortinet as their uh, head of HR and working with uh, the V, well, I should say the co-founder of the company, Michael Z. And I fell in love with cybersecurity, just like I had with telecom. Um, and uh, just saw the huge growth potential and just hooked on 100% into cyber and uh, built uh, the companies that I built now to uh, take advantage of that boom and bust and take advantage of that uh, energy level. Yeah, and I know one of the things you you talk about in a post on LinkedIn is the Canadian Cybersecurity Network. I see that you founded that. Um, I'd be interested, like, kind of what was it? It feels, we talk to a lot of people on our podcast that want to give back and want to help people, and I get the impression from seeing your post, it's that's kind of what you're trying to do, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, kind of, why did you why did you start down that road of founding that? Well, when I started looking at the overall cybersecurity space in Canada, I realized there was no national organization focused on membership, and I decided that that was something that I would love to build. I have this passion for building networks and people networks. Um, so I started building it on LinkedIn uh, just as a start and started with zero people and really focused on cybersecurity people. So people that were either pen testers or CISOs or, you know, worked in the industry as owners of companies or SOC analysts and really tried to focus 100% on the community and just focus there. And then uh, started working with, you know, adding students to it, uh, people that had an interest in it. Um, and it just grew. It just became the largest cybersecurity network in Canada. Um, and uh, last year, we decided to build a community out of it on a community-based portal. Um, so we approached sponsors, got a portal, um, so that we we could offer services. So we could start offering mentoring services. So we could offer career services. So we could offer um, events on our digital platform. Um, and, uh, you know, all those great things to build community, but also to help companies grow in Canada. So our primary focus is on growing talent, but also on growing businesses in Canada. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that kind of is important to me is relationships. And it always has been throughout my career. And 
we've talked about this on the podcast before that working in kind of infrastructure which is where i came from i mean i started off in an infrastructure role and cyber wasn't a thing security became a thing and then cyber became a thing we've talked people like kevin um and we've talked about with other people that say when they tried to break into the industry there wasn't a lot of help available now i'm not saying i necessarily found that when i tried to break into the industry because funnily enough i didn't really break in we grew into the industry um, um that's why i've got gray hair so these things were relatively kind of evolved around us so you didn't need to really break in and, and nobody could really help us back then because nobody had any of the answers so i think that's being right kind of at the beginning of the internet and those kind of things enabled us to all learn together but I've certainly heard people say that breaking into infrastructure 10 years after that was hard. People were maybe protecting their roles. Maybe there wasn't enough roles. Maybe there was kind of this mentality of, I don't want to help someone else in case they take my job or become better than me or something. I don't know. But the way I see cyber is, and we'll get onto the skills gap and all of that in a minute, but the way I see cyber is, there are far more jobs available than we have talent, or that's at least how I feel. And that makes me understand a bit more maybe why everyone's willing to help. I think for me, this is a massive war against very strong opposition. The opposition have many tactics. They have a lot of funding. They exploit a lot of weaknesses that have been there for a long time. And if we don't team up and and fight these battles together i think we're in problems and we we spoke to chase cunningham recently about and he, he gave us an analogy about a gazelle getting attacked in the wild but and and it used to be the case that you could protect your own business or your own set of sites or whatever it might be you could put your firewall around you and protect you and in the hope that someone would come along, try and get in and go, well, they're too strong and go to the next business or the next house or whatever it is right. you're protecting. I think the problem we have today is there are tunnels between all the houses. There's that supply chain. No one company is solely independent. So you make your company really, really strong. But unless every single part of that chain is protected with the same level of strength, they will target the weakest link, and that weakest link, unfortunately, will will get you in to the business. So we we do need to fight this battle together. Um, but I alluded to the kind of the the skills gap. Let's say now, mm -hmm. what I liked earlier on that you said was when you said you you created the the cybersecurity network, you talked about SOC analysts and pen testers and all of those things. When when I speak to a lot of my friends about that I work in cyber. They all see it as one job. We all do the same thing. And I don't I don't think that's true. I mean, I'm infrastructure was very similar. You couldn't take normally a network person and go and throw them into a database world. Very different roles, right? There was some overlap in certain things. And I think as things evolved over time, you needed to know a little bit about each thing. But cybersecurity for me, you have your SOC analysts, you have your pen testers, different skill sets. You've got the CISOs that need to have a bit more business knowledge, maybe. So do you see there being a, a skills gap? And is it just in certain areas or is it in all of those areas? And I know that's a difficult um, question, but we have a bit of time. 
It is a very difficult question, and and the reason why is there's a lot of opposing uh, forces taking place here. Um, is there a skills gap? Um, there is, um, of course. Um, the problem is there is there not enough talent, or will there not be enough talent? I'm not sure that's the case. I think, unfortunately, some of the biggest issues that take place is the complexity of job descriptions. So if you start looking at the complexity of job descriptions today that are being asked for by companies, I mean, if I'm a hiring manager, of course, I'm going to ask for as much as I can get um, and want the recruiters to go out and, and source it and recruit it. Um, but what has to happen is that the recruiters have to push back uh, based on the reality of the marketplace. And the reality is that um, if you're asking for a minimum of three to five years of business experience, you know, the, the majority of new grads that are coming in don't have that level of experience. Um, they may have three to six months of basic experience. If they're lucky, maybe they have a year. Maybe they've worked on a practicum. Maybe they've worked on something. Um, but the reality is asking for those years of experience eliminates them completely. Now, there are some companies that will be open to taking on people that have less experience based on their skill set. But I think the biggest problem today um, like it was during the telecom boom. Okay, so it's no different. I used to be asked all the time to find PhDs in telecom or in networking. And, and you know, there's only so many of those individuals around. And luckily, I worked at Nortel, and we hired 33% of all graduating PhDs and engineers in the country. Okay, but the reality was there was never enough. There was never going to be enough to satisfy the business. So we started pushing back and saying, you got to start looking at BAs. you got to start looking at, at different skill sets um, to meet that gap. And then you had com competition start coming in that were much more nimble. Companies like, like Cisco, and you started having companies like, you know, uh, you know, a whole bunch of startups that started eating our lunch. Um, and, and what happens is that the culture has to change. So it requires a huge culture shift um, in regards to how you look for skills. Um, and you have to start looking at the basic skill sets. You know, what makes somebody good as a SOC analyst? Is it curiosity? Is it communication skills? Is it the ability to learn quickly new software, new, new things? Um, and, and I think that that is the root cause. A lot of recruiters, unfortunately, rely on not understanding the business, but understanding recruitment. Um, you have to understand the the products that are in the company. You have to understand the systems that are in the company. You have to understand the company's clients and customers. You have to understand the business environment to be able to recruit people properly. And that is a huge gap. And I'm not saying that all recruiters don't have that knowledge, but the recruiters that have that knowledge have a huge leg up on the competition. And I would say that maybe 10 to 15% of recruiters in cybersecurity have that knowledge. The rest are new to the industry potentially and have to learn from the business. And that's a huge investment, but they need that investment. So I'll stop there and just see what else you want to ask before I kind of go a little deeper. Yeah, I think um, one of the challenges is um, you, you hit it on the head there when you were talking about Nortel and some of the challenges they had that they wanted to hire a PhD for every role. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of companies out there that you know they want the best talent and, and rightfully so. Uh, the best talent isn't available. You know, they're either happy in their own roles or they don't exist. Um, what have you seen in terms of how companies incorporate uh, people who are new to cybersecurity? Uh, because it does take it does take leadership to make that happen. You you have to develop a, a culture of mentoring 
within the team, the organization, that you can essentially accept a pipeline of people who may have just uh, you know graduated from college or are making a job change or have recently left the military uh, that don't have that corporate experience and and bring them into the organization, help them uh, adjust, help them learn. Um, what have you seen in that respect? Is has that been a successful method uh, in organizations? I think it it can be a highly successful method. Um, unfortunately, for most of the companies that I have seen, um, it's a huge failure uh, simply because most of the companies want to hire experienced hires. They don't want to waste time on, you know, bringing someone up to speed for eight months to a year. Um, and um, I've seen this um, as an example. I'll take the example of co-ops, uh, you know, hiring, you know, co-ops or intern into your organization. A lot of companies will say no uh, to that simply because they don't want to create the investment and then those people leave. Um, they, they don't think it's worth it. They think you're going to be basically, I'll use the word babysitting uh, for six to eight months before they can get any value um, out of the students. So they don't want to make that investment. Now, having said that, there are companies that are willing to make that investment. Uh, usually they're smaller, they're SMBs, they're, they're, they, they need the skill set and they'll, 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 they'll actually recruit more intensely from, from co-ops uh, to, to get the right people into the company. But um, I, I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of companies personally that have invested really well in that whole train-up period. Um, there are some. There are some that are doing a, a, a good job of doing that, aligning mentors uh, to individuals, to align you know, uh, coworkers to someone so they can, they can spend more time. But a lot of it, what I've seen, unfortunately, is a lot of lip service versus actually a lot of investment. Um, and I'm being a little uh, forceful, uh, but I think it's it's a huge requirement now to invest um, in, in new talent coming into the industry, and most companies are not willing to do it. Yeah, I think that's kind of unfortunate. If there is a gap, uh, which we you know we've said there is a gap, and um, you, you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, that's the the definition of insanity, uh, and that's what seems companies seem to be doing is they just keep trying to find that unicorn talent out there, uh, they're not finding it. Therefore, there's a gap or therefore those those positions are not getting filled. Um, they don't have eyes on uh, the telemetry and guess what? They get hacked or they hire somebody who they think uh, has those skills and, and doesn't. Um, I think there's a, a, a need for a great rethink there and, and uh, you've got to create the pipeline and you can't be afraid that somebody's going to leave and two years, because even the high-end talent, if they find a better opportunity, they're gone. Um, yep. you know, there was a study, uh, an HR study, basically, that said in order for an employee to be effective, they have to be in their role for almost six months in order to get a return on investment. I think the number is right around four years. So, um, you know, uh, that's that's a challenge out there for companies. It, you you got to find the talent. Uh, in in a sense, I my my opinion is you got to make the talent. Yeah, and and I and I think a couple of, couple of points there, uh, John. Uh, one of the things I've I've noticed is I do a lot of recruiting in the U.S. Uh, through my company, and um, I do a lot in Texas as an example. And 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 I would say the normal turnover there um, on the cybersecurity side is probably uh, you're you're pretty lucky if it's two years. Um, yeah. for, for most of the people that are in that organization, they're shifting jobs every two years. And as an employer, 
you know, you need to understand that's likely going to be the case and plan for it. And you need to invest so that you hope they come back. They may come back in four years or six years to, to another, pursue another part of their career where you've been a big part of that and they remember that. If you're a bad employer, they're not coming back to you. Um, they're going to avoid you. Um, what we've done in Canada to try and get, um, you know, individuals experience coming in um, is a cyber, security, uh, cyber student portal. Um, and and I'll, let me explain that for a second, because it may be different in other countries. But in Canada, uh, you know, we have co-op internships, of course, and, and most every school has a different program and different rules to bring people into those programs. So that means as, a, as an employer, you have to deal with each university and each college separately. Um, not, not any employer, unless they're like, you know, Amazon or Fortinet is going to be able to handle all these schools. Um, you go to one school, you get the talent you get from that school, and you may hire them or you may not. So the program in this, in this case allows employers, all employers, to actually go to a portal and access all Canadian cyber students in one place. So if you think about that, we're removing the barriers for the students, we're removing the barriers for the employers. The schools are still going to get their paperwork, okay, because they have to be completed afterwards. But we're opening the doors for more employers to, to view more talent across the country and access them for full-time, okay, full-time student employment, co-ops, internships, part-time or contract work. And this, the reason we're doing this is we want students to get experience and they should be able to go based on their own schedule. What we're hearing from employers is that it's so difficult to work with different schools, different processes, and, and, and they lose a lot of time and they have to invest an awful lot to, to, to get those relationships. And I'm not saying investing in schools is a bad thing, you should develop with your local schools programs and, you know, um, share some of your, your products and, and everything else. But what I'm saying is that make the hiring process much easier. So that's what we've done with the cyber student portal. And we're going to do a lot more of that for the cyber community as we grow, because it's, it's a major problem in a lot of other areas as well of recruitment. So I, I have a question that, maybe relates to the previous topic, maybe a little bit to this yeah. one. And, and we talk quite a lot about cyber burnout. We talk about mental health for cyber people. We talk about people leave all the time um, and are jumping jobs. And we talked a little bit about training just now and support. Now, is there, I mean, being a SOC analyst can be a stressful job. Being a CISO, I'm sure, is a stressful job. Do you see anybody offering any form of emotional support or that form of training, being able to help people deal with stressful environments. Now, you get that in the Army, you get that in the Navy, you get that in the military services, you you get to understand how to deal with really difficult situations. I had some of it over the years for, the, for senior roles that I was in dealing with mergers and acquisitions or if stuff went wrong. I just wonder because we talk a lot about students we talk about students entering the workforce now most of us had time to learn our career to learn our skill to to not be thrown straight in into the deep end we got taught how to swim a little bit beforehand i'm noticing now that a lot of people go into being a SOC analyst or a, th a threat responder or something that is potentially very hard mentally and it's okay training someone on a computer, but is anyone training them how to deal with those really difficult things like training them maybe 
or helping them eat properly, sleep properly, exercise properly, all of those basic things that I certainly never got taught. I don't believe John got taught. We've had to learn by yeah, doing let me, it. Let me let me add a little color there. I mean, when we came up in the industry, there weren't things like smartphones. <laughs> you know, there was a rotary phone or a digital phone that you had to dial in. Uh, those calls didn't come. The company may not have been uh, 24-7. Uh, digital transformation was not a thing. So, you know, life was a little more regimented. When you were off, you were off, essentially. Yep. Maybe you carried, carried a beeper, but you you handed that beeper off so you could you could get a good night of sleep if you didn't you weren't on call now things have changed i mean uh you know uh it's 24 7 it's on everyone's got a smartphone you don't put the smartphone down uh i remember when we started to bring phones into the office and the company was debating whether or not to pay for it i was like yeah dude you, you're gonna get your <laughs> you're gonna get your return on investment in like two weeks yeah you, you just write the check, give them the phone. Um, I think that's the challenge is, is the workforce coming up doesn't know how to disconnect. They don't know that, uh, you know, there's a time when you're on the clock and there's a time when you're not on the clock. And um, they're just consumed with, hey, this is a new job. This is exciting. I'm just going to go all in. And then, you know, bam, two years down the road, they're they're feeling the pain. Well, John, it's, it's, you make a good point, and, and, and I'll try and combine both uh, Jay's point and John's point here, but um, there is an awful lot of burnout taking place. Um, and there are some companies that are investing some resources uh, into workers, uh, you know, um, career coaches, educational coaches, people to come in and, and help individuals kind of go over that bump. But coming back to John's point, I think, you know, look, I, I'm as bad as everybody else. Um, I get onto my phone at night and I'm going, why did I pick up this phone? Um, you know, put it aside, you know, li live your life, right? Um, stop working. Um, we have this constant nudge now by, and I would say mostly social media, I'll say social media, um, which preoccupies us. It, it, it's become part of our kind of, um, you know, uh, comfort blanket where we, we need to look at, it, even though we're not going to get any value out of it. Um, so I think, I think it's partly the mindset, um, and, and, you know, it's not only young people coming in that have this issue now, it's people like me and, and Jay and John that you know, get preoccupied. So, you know, what I used to do when I was working and, and I usually do when I'm working is I shut off at some point at five or six o'clock at night, I shut off. There may still be emergencies and I'll respond to them, but the reality is I shut off from work, but I, I'm still on social media. Um, and, and part of the challenge now is to just shut off that phone and, and just get away from social for a while that takes over another part of our life that makes us a little bit more anxious um, and all those kinds of things. So I think it's, a, it's, it's maybe not just a cyber issue. Um, it's one that exacerbates cyber uh, trends in, in industry. Um, but, I, but I think personally, we have to take control of our own lives. Um, I think businesses are always going to demand more. I mean, I remember working at Nortel and you know, working 16-hour, 18-hour days, traveling all over the world, you know, being in Chicago and having to go to London, England. And anyway, it was, it was, and at some point, you just have to say enough's enough um, and say, look, I, I'm going to take time for myself or I'm going to change roles and careers. Um, I need to get balance and we need to take control of our own lives. Yeah, I wonder if companies are going to at any point realize that running your staff constantly until they get to like 50% of their ability is beneficial to anybody. 
I mean, I, I certainly know that the, the UK and the European approach to say vacations, we call them holidays, you guys call them vacations, is very different. I mean, we get forced to take 20, 25 days off a year. And, and I would be bonus based on ensuring my staff took time off and ensuring that I took time off. And it was hard. I mean, I spent most of my career taking my laptop and my phone on holiday. Um, so I did holiday was just for me and i used to joke about it's just working from somewhere hot um, but i certainly know in the us that there seems to be this kind of mentality that if you take holiday you're not a good employee and the, and the way i see it is i know when i'm at 100 percent. what in fact i've probably haven't been at 100 percent since i was 20 <laughs> but i know where i'm at when i'm at like 95 percent mm -hmm. and once i start to get to say 85 or 80 percent i'm like i need a break and that could be that in a day i mean i may have worn myself out by sitting here for six or seven hours and i need to get up and go for a walk get a drink whatever or it may well be that i've tried to recharge my batteries by having a weekend off and doing a bit of walking or whatever it might be and, and i've not got recharged and then i start to realize that okay i need a week off i need to go and lie on a beach or do whatever you like vacation in and i certainly see that a lot of countries don't really allow for that. They'll work you, work you, work you, work you. And the only time you really get a holiday is when you're worn out, you quit, and you have two weeks before you start your next job. And and I don't want to call out any particular country because I think, as you've alluded mm -hmm. to, we we are responsible for that as well. It's not just a business. The business is going to want to get as much as they possibly can because they're competing against other businesses. But it's not, I just don't think in the world we live in, it's not the right approach now. We, I think both myself and John have learned through the painful realization of we've made a mistake and we've got burnt out. We've mm -hmm. maybe learned to, to spot those signs a little bit more than we would have 20 years ago. But I think we have a responsibility as people and as businesses to protect that new workforce. If you wear them out when they're 20, and it's harder to wear a 20-year-old out, to be fair, but if you wear them out when they're 20 or 25, they'll not come and work for you again, and they might not actually have the ability to go and work anywhere. And we're going to end up with a workforce that when you try and apply the pressure, they collapse. And we've kind of digressed a bit, but I think that's pretty important for society. Um, Absolutely. So another question, we'll we'll get back on topic. Um, you posted recently a LinkedIn poll um, and you asked people what they felt was the reason why they weren't getting jobs. And the top one was experience. And we've talked a little bit about it before. Um, I see it all the time. I see a lot of companies asking for experience. And I think there has to be a balance of, of what they're asking for. Um, but if you are new and you're trying to get into the industry and a company's requesting experience, in in your experience, what can people do to gain that? I mean, I used to have a home lab in my in my garage. Mm -hmm. I would have a when VMware came out, I had a VMware environment, I had routers, switches, I had a network, I had VPN tools. I was able to kind of do all that, but there was a cost involved in that. And I was lucky enough to work for a company that let me borrow old stuff. And I know you can get it off of eBay and stuff. But I tinkered. I played. I broke stuff. I rebuilt it. I broke it again. I rebuilt it. 
what do you think people should do? Because cyber is a little bit different. We're not building servers or networks. We're protecting them. So what do you think people can do to kind of gain that experience? Yeah, I think I think there's there's a couple of things, and I you know I usually highly recommend people that are going into a study program to jump onto a a co-op or an internship or or something like that to to, to actually build that experience, um, because it's it's really important that employers see that you're making an effort, and I think you know you're John, you know you Jay, you make the point of actually you know, going in, in your, you know, when you were younger, building these things in your, you know, a lab in your house and, and, and trying things and doing things. And I think employers want to see that. Um, you know, the project we did on the Cyber Student Portal, we actually went to employers and said, you know, what are you looking for? And they said, you know, we want to, we want to see how people make an effort. We want to see what they're going to do. We want to see that they're actually trying things. So um, it, it could just be a, um, it could be a practicum. It could be a project you're working on at university or college, or it could just be something you're doing in your basement uh, or in your room at night. Um, they want you to showcase something. They want to showcase that you're thinking about cybersecurity or solving problems. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's a huge thing or, 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 or going on events like try hack me or, you know, hack the box and, and those kinds of things. Um, if you're, if you're in those areas, but I, but I think that's, that's absolutely critical. The other thing they're looking for is is they want they want to see personality. They want to see the personality of of individuals. They want to see you have communication skills. So you know, here we are at the portal, and one of the things we highly highly recommend on the portal is load up a video. People want to see you. Employers actually want to see you. And I know it's kind of counter to certain 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 ways that recruiters are, are doing now. They they don't want to show gender. They don't want to show uh, you know um, you know cultural background and, and so on. But employers that want to hire want to know what kind of personality you have. They want to see if you can talk. They want to see if you understand cyber. So loading up a one-minute video gives them a glance at who you are and sharing volunteering experiences. So have you volunteered with organizations to show your cyber skills? Uh, do you have projects um, on GitHub that you can showcase? So I think the key um, is that you build up that experience one way or another, um, and you, you shouldn't be waiting on the employers. Yes, you have to find positive employers. Um, you know, there are going to be a lot of negative employers out there. They're going to say no, but look for the ones that say yes or say, you know, approach them while you're in university um, and college to actually reach out and say, you know, I'd like to kind of see your lab. Can I come in? Can I... Uh, can I, can I actually come in and, and do some shadowing or, or anything? And I think the ones that are persistent and, and show um, likability and actually that their interest are actually going to have a step up on everybody else. Um, and there are students that are doing this. I, mean, I have a co-op working for me right now that's just blowing the doors out of, uh, you know, doing a project for me. Um, so it's, it's that kind of outgoing behavior that's going to entice employers. So I, I tell everybody that, yes, network, uh, approach as many employers as you can, look for the ones that are the, the mentors and develop stuff that you can actually showcase um, on your skill set. And absolutely work on your skills around communication because I'll guarantee you one of the most important things in cybersecurity these days is the ability to communicate. Communicate to the, your peers, communicate to your clients. Um, and if you can't do that, 
you're at a huge disadvantage. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I think you nailed a bunch of things on the head there. Personality, uh, communications. Uh, the other piece uh, is is business knowledge, because uh, cybersecurity is not only about IT. It's it's now becoming more of a business function. So you have to understand, uh, you know, how how a, how a business makes money, right? Where does the dollar start? Or uh, you know, UK is as the well was the euro. What is it now, Jay? The pound. We've never been the euro. We've only ever been the pound. We've All never right. changed. Showing, showing my ignorance there. Uh, but you've you got to understand how a company makes their money. And then if you're in cyber, you got to understand how you protect that that uh, that coinage as, they, as it moves throughout the company. Uh, business skills are, are a key one. And then, um, you know, somebody who used to hire uh, teams, um, there was always a technical discussion mm -hmm. but at the end of the day if you showed an and i think you wrote a, a post about this on your linkedin uh, page um if you showed the you know the ability to do the technical side that was great but at the end of the day you were looking for that cultural fit and uh you know that team fit and that that at the end of the day was the difference is you know if i can train you on technology you show an interest you show a curiosity you show a willingness to learn um I'm now really interested in the cultural fit because if you if we bring somebody in who's going to break the culture, uh, we don't want that person. Uh, that was that was a major piece. So um, the user interfaces, as we call it in IT, is critical in in looking to uh, get get that job. I think yeah, one of the, one of the things that I've always said to people that I've I've been trying to help over the years is put yourself out there, and and be seen, and. I remember not that long ago, somebody saying to me, but that's a risk. What if people don't like me? <laughs> now, I get that. I mean, there are a lot of people active on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I post my thoughts. I post posts. I write articles. I post videos. Me and John do the podcast. We're on YouTube. We do all these things. And this particular person said to me, that's a huge risk. You're, you're literally, people can see everything about you. And I'm like, but that's perfect. You'll have a group of people that like that and like me and maybe companies like that and want to hire me in the future. And I'll equally have a group of people that don't like it and don't want to hire me. Right. It's a lot easier to know that someone's not going to hire you before you've done four or five interviews. Now, I'm pretty confident that there's bound to be somebody out there that likes me. I think in a way, John quite likes me. So, <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm quite an open, open and honest guy, and I'm trying to do my best. It might not all be always be perfect, but I'm willing to put it out there. Now, like I said, that is scary because IT folks and cyber folks aren't always people like friendly. That they're, they're they're I'm I'm not trying to put anyone down, but. There are a lot of people that would rather not talk to people and et cetera, et cetera. So putting yourself out there can be difficult. Um, but it, it it's still something I would always advise people to do. Always be nice, be polite, but be but be you. Because if you get interviewed and you haven't been you via the process, you've either got to fake it for 20 years or somebody soon enough is going to figure out that wasn't you. Um, well, it, it, the other piece is the world's a small place. Um, IT is a small place. Uh, networking is a small place. Security is a small place. And it's bound to, as you move up the levels and, and move up the layers, um, 
you're bound to run into somebody who knows you or had an experience with you. And uh, hopefully that was a good experience. If it was a bad experience, if, if you're a person who wants to burn bridges all the time, you, you're not going to move up. If you're somebody who builds coalitions, um, has a good reputation, that's going to be a help to you. So it's uh, as much as you may be the technical wizard, um, they, again, the user interface has a huge impact on, on your career. So uh, don't neglect it. I, I was told by a by somebody I got a lot of respect for when I was younger that anyone you trample to get up the ladder is going to kick you and punch you when you come back down again. Absolutely. Um, now, great piece of advice. Um, we're, we're, time's flying. So I've got a few more questions before we get to the fun questions. Um, there's a lot of noise in the industry about zero trust. There's a lot of, um, and I think it's a good thing. I think there's, it's not just a buzzword. I do think there's merit mm. in it. Um, for somebody that talks to people, recruits people, talks to companies and tries to tie the two together, are you hearing about zero trust? Is it what's, are people starting to go, I need somebody that understands zero trust or the principles or has experience with zero trust? Is it starting to come up? Uh you hear it a little bit with certain companies, but you know I, I don't think it's uh, it's a huge trend. Um, you're, you're hearing it; the buzzwords are there, but you know you're not really looking to see that many people have experience with it. I'm not seeing it as uh, something that's defining if someone gets hired or not. Uh, at least not yet. Yeah, because I saw an article, and I can't remember who who posted it, and maybe I'll put it in the comments when we post this. But somebody wrote an article about there being a chief zero trust architect type role in companies and john i don't know if you can remember who it was but i saw it come up on linkedin and i'm like okay it took however many years for the CISO to be a role how long will it take for there to be a, a chief zero trust architect or a chief yeah zero i think trust this is person? this is going to be an emerging topic especially with the executive order and and some of the pressures coming down uh from the government at least in the u.s to suppliers uh, we're going to see more and more about it and added on that, um, all the high profile hacks and ransomware and everything in the news, uh, companies, you know, they need a different strategy than just putting a, a pile of technology on the table and then lighting it on fire because, well, they couldn't deploy it. So that's their but, editorial comment for the day. It's it's an interesting point. I, you know, I, I did a post yesterday. You may not have seen it, um, but um, I did a poll, I should say. And the poll was, should Canada put in place a minister in charge of cybersecurity? And there was 340 responses just yesterday. It was just, you know, insane. Everybody's, you know, jumped on it. And I think it was close to about 88% or 86% said yes. And and, and this is really interesting. I was, I was kind of curious. Um, I think New Zealand's the only uh, main, you know, kind of, uh, you know, top country of our peers that has one in place currently. Um, there's other countries discussing it, I believe, but um, I believe it's a really important decision point. Um, you know, one neck to hold, uh, one place to kind of, um, you know, have certain decisions. If it's, you know, education across the country around cybersecurity or if it's, um, you know, certain legislation or certain things that are critical. I don't think they have a responsibility for everything. You got to be really careful what, what you make that role. But I do believe that creating the focus, a little bit like Israel does. So as an example, you know, cybersecurity in Israel from an educational perspective is, 
is is key. Uh, not only does it tie into the military, which is becoming a big issue for all of us. Um, I think that I think it's it's something fundamental in their culture about defending and protecting, um, and having that built into our our psyche. Um, I think it's something extremely relevant. If you know, we're all very proud of our countries. We're very you know, we need to protect our identity, we need to protect our culture and all these great things. Well, cybersecurity is now part of that. Um, if, if, you're, if, if you're not, you know, protecting your assets and you're not protecting your company, and you're not protecting your country, then, um, you know, you, your infrastructure, you're, you're going to be in trouble. And I think we're going to see mounting evidence of attacks um, over the next six months to a year with the conflicts that are taking place. We're seeing it already. Um, and I think that, you know, we're, 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 we're in a defensive mode um, and we need to start shifting to not only, you know, better defense, but, you know, offense. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think you're hitting on, you're hitting on the topic of digital citizenry and that's something that uh, needs to be discussed more often is, as we bring uh, folks, young folks into the world, or even some of the older folks, you got to, understand the responsibilities of, of cyber, uh, understand the responsibilities of this great technology that we all have in our hands. And, um, you know, we, we've touched on it several times, when to use it, when to put it down, uh, but, you know, how it can help you and how it can hinder you and, uh, you know, evolve to that uh, standard. And, and we need to have more conversations around that. Yeah, I think, I mean, the whole world is now interconnected at every level, at every age in every country i mean it, it it's it's very easy to 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 get around um people travel a lot businesses are interconnected if we don't work together we're, we're going to have problems moving forward and i personally think it's a cultural change in it and it needs to start from the ground up from younger generations they need to understand the risks and why they should do certain things because Otherwise, in, in 10 or 15 years or even less, things are progressing so quickly, we're, we will be in trouble. Um, but we are getting short on time. I want to ask you kind of two food-related questions, food being a passion of mine, and then we'll let John get on to something else. Um, the first question is, um, a lot of people believe that um, pineapple should not be put on pizza, and then there are the people that are wrong and believe it should. And which camp are you in? Are you in a pineapple on pizza camp or are you not? Oh, no pineapple. Oh, no pineapple. Oh, no yeah. pineapple. It's a, it's an awful travesty. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I completely agree. I, I, I read a blog recently because a friend of mine listened to a podcast it recorded and he's, he's a pineapple on pizza lover. And he sent me a blog that talks about it at length. And I was just like, no, you're just wrong. It just doesn't go. Um, I just, just haven't had the pizza, right one. Though. You haven't had the right pizza. one. So. Yeah. So the, the second food-related question. Um, you've obviously got to travel a bit in your life. You said you've been over to to London and places like that. Um, what's the best meal you've ever had? Where was it? And why was it the best meal? Was it was it actually the meal or the atmosphere or the place? What was it about it? Uh, I I would say that it's a traditional meal um with family and friends and um, i would have to point to either christmas dinner or easter dinner i'm i'm i, lo I love my turkey dinner yeah give me turkey and all the fixings and 
uh, gravy and mashed potatoes and cranberries and I'm in heaven. So it's, it, I definitely have to say that I love cooking it. I love cooking the whole meal for my family and we devour it. And we have French Canadian traditional meat pie with it. And it is the best meal you'll ever have. Nice. I like that answer. John, one from you. Yeah. So let's talk um, TV and movies. Um, there's been a lot of great series out in the last 12 months, uh, whether it's Netflix, HBO, Showtime, you name it. Uh, there's been some great movies as well. I haven't done as many, many movies as I've done in the past because I honestly like to stream them and sit in my own house. Uh, but if you kind of review what you've watched over the past 12 months, whether it be a series or a movie, uh, any any recommendations? Mm. I think on the series side, you know, one that uh, will probably surprise some people that I absolutely loved was Ozarks. Um, oh, yeah. Really loved uh, the Ozark series. Um, but from a movie perspective, you know, I'm going to go with the, uh, uh, the the big standard for 2022, which was Top Gun. I, I really yeah. enjoyed uh, Solid choice. Just, getting, just getting lost in this fun escapade. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was that was amazing. Uh, it was a fun movie. It was in the way that it was filmed, uh, you know, that it wasn't a green screen and and some of the movie magic that they actually put them in the airplanes, forced them, you know, with GFX and, and the way their faces smushed. Uh, yeah, I, I really, really like what they did there. So I'm going to tell you something that, John, you don't know either. But obviously, I started off my career kind of playing games. Um. And my name, if I play games, was either Maverick or Top Gun. <laughs> um, so, and my my login screen on the on the VMS system that we had was the start of Top Gun with that writing. So that's how sad I am. Um, but yeah, such a great film. Um, I mean, I, I I love the original film, and I was really nervous about the new one coming out um, just because it could have gone so badly wrong. Um, but I'm glad it took so long to make because it, it, it's it got the flavor of the first one, but updated it was great. And, and the filming was great. I just really enjoyed it. Um, but also, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. I mean, our series of podcasts and now YouTube videos would not be the same without interesting guests. People would get very quickly bored of me and most likely john at some point um so it's great to get people on some really good topics covered um john anything you want to add before we wrap no another great conversation uh this one more focused on the talent side the, the people side of, of cybersecurity. so really appreciate your insights thank you so much uh jay and john just uh, wonderful being on the show thank you so much thank you Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please give The Edge a like and a follow on your favorite podcast service. And also connect with the SSC Forum on LinkedIn. Get all the latest updates and news on the phenom known as the Security Service Edge.